Amen. Praise the Lord. Remain standing for prayer, if you would. Remain standing for prayer. For you. So usually every Sunday, almost every single Sunday, as the praise teams leave, leave, leaving the stage, I like to take a moment, uh, you know, not just to brag on them and uh, say thanks to them, but uh, maybe if I can, uh, you know, throw in a few words about praise and worship and stuff like that. That way, every week, you all get a piece of my heart pastorally as my philosophy on praise and worship. Now we don't have to do a separate, uh, you know, a separate webinar or something that you know have people wouldn't tune into anyway. So, so you know, let me just say today because this is so obvious. Uh, today, I think you know you can tell that we. So whatever else we don't have with our praise team, we put money certain places. So we've got bongos. We got bongos. And uh, and we do not have a smoke machine or laser lights. And, you know, so when you walk in here, I mean, my philosophy is all lights all the time because I don't want you entering a dark place where there's these people on stage and they're just performing for you because the goal of our praise team is to draw you into worship. So the goal of our praise team is to draw you in to worship with God. And let me, let me just make a remark on why that is so important. So we sang in that second song, we sang a phrase, asking God to move the unmovable. But you know, a lot of times moving the unmovable requires breaking the unbreakable. So, so we know that God can, but how, how will God break your unbreakable will? Today, how is God going to break your hard heart? I mean, I don't know all of what's going on in Asbury, but I know what I wish God would do here. How's God going to do that? How's how's he going to do that without violating your unfettered free will? You know how he does it? When you enter into praise with our praise team, that becomes your prayer and your permission for God to start to do a work in you through the preaching of his word on Sunday. That is why you need to let yourself be drawn into the worship that this praise team leads us into because that's all God needs. I know some people sit back and say, well, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Great. Why don't you enter into worship and stop being a hypocrite then? Because all it takes, I mean, all Jesus needed was that one woman to get down. She had, the apostles wouldn't let her talk to him. All he needed was for her to crawl forward and reach far enough to touch the hem of his garment. That was permission. Maniac at Gadara, filled with devils. And all that was needed was for him to come running to Jesus and say, Thou Son of God. And, and God said, uh, you know, kind of like the genie in Aladdin, when, and when Aladdin's, you know, drowning, and uh, here you've got to ask, you have, but you have to ask. And Aladdin goes, he said, I'll take that as yes. <laughs> as Jesus, he wants to draw you in. If you will make our praise part of your prayer, the Holy Spirit gets ready to work. He'll move the unmovable. He'll break the unbreakable. You'll leave in a way you didn't even think you were going to leave when you walked in. So go ahead and bump elbows with your neighbor. Let's uh, go, God, in prayer. Father, we come before you. God, I do ask that you break the unbreakable hearts that are in here today. I pray that you'd break the, uh, move the immovable wills. All those who need to be on board. Um, 
Lord, I, they even think they can't even move. And um, that doesn't matter as long as they ask you to move them. That does not matter as long as they will open their hearts, they will pray. I ask you to move them today. I ask you to break them today. God, uh, we pray that'd be the prayer of all of us in here and ask that your word would do the work in our lives as your Holy Spirit answers to the word. We ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated in the Lord's presence. And as you're turning to Daniel chapter 10, I'll draw your attention to the fact that in the bulletin and the handout and um, the prayer diary that you were given today is also a list of the men that we're looking at um, installing as deacons uh, March 5th. So, so, so what we do is take three weeks and we get nominations uh, from people in the congregation who's deacon to them. And then the pastors get together and, and, you know, select out of that list. And then we put that forward for three weeks and try and do our due diligence of publishing it before it is, they're installed. In the rare case, and I don't know that this has even ever happened, that you know something that would biblically disqualify them, well, then let us know. Uh, talk to one of the pastors, email me, whatever, and, uh, let, you know, let's work that out and deal with that. Uh, but otherwise, this, you know, except for um, last-minute changes that uh, you know, come in after, after the time we print this up, these will be the men that we will install as our deacons uh, March 5th. Um, and I, you know, I don't have big shots. I want deacons. Uh, deacons are what? Well, Matthew 23, servants. Mark 9, least of all. Luke 22, as the younger, not as the chief. So they are servants of everybody and... Yet, they have to endure the hardship of a pastor or a leader in a lot of circumstances, and so those are the men that, that we want to be able to install as our deacons March 5th. Um, you may come from a background from a church that had, you know, six or seven deacons. In my experience, most of those churches, that those deacons are actually acting as a board, not deacons. Uh, we have a, a larger number than that. Not, not, um, we have a less of a number proportionately than when I first came here, before I came here to Harvest. So Harvest had more deacons proportionately before I came than of what we have now. And uh, we, we've come from some churches that had uh, proportionately slightly more than what we're looking at. But uh, these are the men we're putting forward. Also, you know, we were able at the first of the year to bring up a room. So bring the uh, high school and the middle school back on Sunday mornings with us. And now the downside of that was how many of them were serving in areas like Harvest Kids on Sunday. The upside of that is that we took all of our English-speaking adult classes and moved them off of Sunday service times so that you can now do a true plus one. And since your adult class is not meeting during a Sunday service time, you're going to attend one service and serve at another one. And I say that because we need pre-K help at 9 o'clock, especially at the last service. And then we need K through 5 helpers at 1045 this service. So as you leave today, out there in the lobby, go by the desk and let them know which, which one of those you want to serve at. So we've got... You know, I like, I like grassroots stuff. I like stuff coming bottom up instead of having to come top down. And uh, so somebody gave us the idea of the month of love and why don't we do uh, this bucket brigade thing. And so that's kind of a local thing uh, we're jumping in to do. But also uh, we do international things as well. And I, I, I need you to know that we have a family in Turkey on the ground doing very important relief work for the earthquake, but is also work for the kingdom. 
So if you want to give and you want to know that 100% of that is going to go directly there for that, uh, then designate Turkey Earthquake on your check or in the drop-down menu on our website, and uh, we'll make sure that it gets there. Both good and evil exist in our universe, and they're in conflict, and that means that life is a fighting exercise of spiritual warfare for every believer, and it is in preparation for a fighting experience in the coming Star Wars. Now, we'll get there to that, and even here in the book of Daniel, but Daniel 10 today tells us how to face the spiritual conflict that we're in right now. And we know there's a war because there's so many POWs, so many innocents caught in crossfire, so many people who suffer because of our sin. We're born into a world with the devil as its God, according to 2 Corinthians 4.4. But when we're born again, we are born into the kingdom of God. So in God's word, we discover how to fight and how to prevail for him. So this is you know, this is the real combat workout here. I don't, I don't know about the, you know, the exercise class we're going to do called combat. I remember probably 30 years ago, we had a, well, it was combat. We had an exercise class, mainly all men, and it was uh, run by a guy that had just gotten out of special forces. And uh, it, did, it did hurt me. It hurt my feelings. Every time I went, it hurt my feelings. But we're all involved in this spiritual combat. We need to discover how to fight. We need to discover how to prevail. <clears throat> Between the end of Daniel chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10, there's this mammoth destiny-changing event which occurs. It is a great reset by the new world order in order to transition to a new revolution. And so Cyrus, the king of Persia, gives permission for Jews to return to their land and actually rebuild their temple. And so caravans of exiles are leaving Babylon and pulling out in their Conestoga wagons and sailing for the old world. And that signals the fact that Israel's captivity is now over. But does that mean that God is going to immediately restore and establish his kingdom back on earth again with Jerusalem as its capital? Is that what that means? Well, Daniel starts knock, knock, knocking at heaven's door because he wants to find out. Two years later, God gives him the answer. So these last three chapters of Daniel are really just one single cohesive unit it is the final vision of future events, but it takes an entire chapter here on the front end just to explain spiritual warfare in these last days. So chapter 10 is like an introduction to the vision itself. Watch verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar, and the thing was true. But the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. And now the rest of the chapter is going to tell you exactly how that came about. But first it lets you know Daniel's demonic Babylonian name is Belteshazzar, which means Lord of the Poverty-Stricken's Treasure. The coming tribulation saints will only survive if they refuse to take the mark of the beast... And that will make them impoverished in this world. 
And yet that remnant will be God's hidden treasure who we and Jesus come back to reclaim at the second advent. But I want you to look here in verse 1 at that phrase, the time appointed, because there are other ways that that same phrase is translated by the James gang. Now, there's a right way and a wrong way to use Hebrew and Greek. Okay, so, the, so there's a right way and a wrong way. Most uh, pastors, when they get up and preach, if they're going to use a Greek or Hebrew word, they'll, they'll tell you what that word is, and then they'll take you to the etymology, and um, they'll talk about how Aristotle used the word, and then they will insert their reasoning for what that happens to mean uh, here in this context. And, well, that's okay for them, but that's, that's not the way you define things in the Bible. So the right way to use Greek or Hebrew is get your Strong's Concordance, Trace a little number for that word to the Greek and Hebrew dictionary in the back. And then as it gives you the definition after the colon, it will tell you the other ways that the James gang translated that word. And you can even go look up all the passages if you want. I did that word study for you. And, and they translated the same word as army, battle, company, host, service, soldiers, and waiting upon war. Because what it is referring to is the time that it takes to amass an army for battle and set up a campaign, uh, put your camp in order to fight a campaign. And so the time appointed is long because the armies coming together are huge, like at the Battle of Armageddon. And that leads us into the thesis for this chapter, Christians with Understanding and Vision. Realize that spiritual warfare is always just over the horizon. I mean, that's simply what you sign up for when you get saved. When you make Jesus, who is captain of the Lord's host, the captain of your salvation, Hebrews 2.10, then he becomes your commander. And the Apostle Paul says, you look there on your handout at 2 Timothy 2.3, he tells Timothy, there, thou therefore endure hardness, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit works in your life with purpose. That purpose is to place you exactly in the ranks where God wants you for the spiritual campaigns that this church must undertake this year. I mean, that's your choice. You, you enlisted when you got saved. You cannot unenlist and get out of that. Um, uh, there are some for whom God gives a dishonorable discharge, unfortunately, but you're either going to win rank and reward and medals or you're not. Let that move your unmovable will today. Let that break your unbreakable heart today. Because the first facet of this chapter tells us how to address spiritual warfare, verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Why? I mean, Ezra and many of the exiles had already returned safely to Jerusalem, and Daniel had personally been promoted to key administrator over the province of Babylon. But the date for Daniel 10 is the same as the date for Ezra 4, and look at what we're told. There on your handout, Ezra 4, verse 4. Then the people of the land, Palestine, weakened the hands of the people of Judah, and troubled them in building, and hired counselors against them, politicians, lawyers, to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So instead of celebrating, 
because he has spiritual insight and vision and understanding, Daniel sees struggle on the horizon and watch, watch. He does two things in verse 3. I ate no pleasant bread. So he ate what is called in other places the bread of affliction. That's unleavened bread. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Bread and water diet. Now that is the Daniel fast. Those things function as spiritual disciplines to bring Daniel in humility before God. They are what I will call the hardship of worship. They are incessant prayer, asking, seeking, and then finally knocking. And it reflects praying without ceasing, just like what we're told to do today. So Daniel knew the thing that we often forget about spiritual warfare, and this is our first point for study. The best time to expect a battle is after a blessing. Hello, somebody. I mean, last Sunday we had like 13 or 14 baptisms, and I mean, it was a great day. Last week was a wreck. So, I mean, it, I don't know, doesn't this ever happen to you? Refugees streaming back to Judea, rebuilding Jerusalem. Hey, the enemy ain't happy about that. The devil is never happy with anything God can get out of you in this life. He hates your faith in God. So Daniel knows where to focus his attention. He knows it's always dangerous after you decide to follow God, get baptized, be discipled, get involved where God wants you to be. Do a one plus. Serve on Sunday as well as being in a service. I mean, spiritual warfare always follows any positive decision that you make for God. But Daniel wants to be focused in his core. He wants his relationship of worship to be so right that he understands the impending battle. God wants him to be prepared. So here's what happens. Verse 4, and in the 4 and 20th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hittichel. So, so okay, it's the month of Passover. Uh, Daniel prays for three full weeks. The great river here called Hittichel is what we call the Tigris, the twin river to the Euphrates, and it comes closest to the Euphrates at Babylon. Verse 5, then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen whose loins were girded with fine gold of Uphaz, and in other places in the Bible called the gold of Ophir. Linen clothing was the attire, the uniform, the dress for an Old Testament priest. The belt represented the attire of a prophet. Gold represents a king. So you've got three Old Testament offices symbolized in one person's appearance who can function as a prophet, a priest, and a king because this description matches Jesus Christ. Revelation 1, verses 13 to 15. So this is what the theologians call a Christophany, or a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And he, notice he cuts an imposing figure in verse 6. His body was also like the barrel, and his face is the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. Now, barrel was a transparent uh, golden stone, kind of like uh, amber. Uh, somehow gold is connected with the glorified body of Christ and of Christians. His face, his eyes, and his arms are like Jesus appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration. What we call the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, verse 2. 
which was actually an, an appearance of him at his second advent. Matthew 16, 28, 1 Peter 1, 16. But his voice is not that. His voice is not second advent voice. His voice is like the angel of Revelation 10, verses 1 to 3, and chapter 14, verse 14. And that is an appearance to Israel in the midst of the tribulation by Jesus. So it is the same as God appearing to Job, it's the same as Joseph, who was a type of Christ, revealing himself to his brothers. Verse 7, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Same thing happens when Christ appears to Paul on the road to Damascus. Those who were with him did not see the risen Jesus. They did not hear his words, but they sure were afraid. Acts 9-7, Acts 22-9. So another thing he points that points to this being Jesus is how Daniel has almost the same response as the Apostle John in Revelation 1-17, verse 8. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned into corruption, and I retained no strength. We would say he fainted dead away. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. Same thing happened to Isaiah when he, when he saw the Lord. And that's why we don't have to be afraid of spiritual battle, because here's our second point for study. Whenever there's spiritual warfare, Christ, our captain, is always present. That was true for Joshua. That's true for us. He may not be present in person, but he is present in his words. He is present through his spirit answering to his word, and he may be present through his angels. God never leaves you alone. I mean, more than that, God always matches the force needed to be victorious with the force of the resistance. And yes, there are certain things you can do. So let me speak a moment, especially to the young people. And I'm going to say, certainly anybody under 30 years age in here today, listen to me. Satan's goal for you is for him to be able to do something in your life where uh, you make a choice that ruins your life from that moment on. And there are certain levels of immorality. There are certain levels of drug addiction. There are certain levels, uh, sad to say, of counseling, of therapy, of all sorts of stuff that call down demonic involvement. But if you will ask God to break your unbreakable will, to move your immovable life, he will make the force needed to overcome and to be victorious greater than the force of the devil against you. You never have to fail. You can always be an overcomer. And, and here's how he did it with Daniel, verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. Jesus does the same thing to Peter, James, and John on, on the Mount of Transfiguration after they hear God's voice. So it's a picture of resurrection, and Daniel needs the help of an angel. We get something much more magnificent as our helper. If you look on your handout at John 14, verse 16, Jesus said, I will pray the Father, and he'll give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth 
which the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. Because regardless whether you see him or not, he dwelleth in you, and, and, and he, sh- he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So we have everything we need to counter spiritual attack and spiritual conflict. We have the indwelling Holy Ghost who seals us. And that does not mean that angels are not also operative. But we do not have to rely on angels like Daniel did because the same thing Gabriel does here for Daniel, the Holy Spirit now does for us. He leads us into all truth about the way we should go and how to be victorious in times of spiritual conflict. Now watch the importance in this chapter of biblical authority, of actually having God's words. Look at verse 11. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. And most, most of us would agree the one thing we want is that we want to hear from God. I mean, let God communicate his truth, and you know, I just want to, I just want to hear from God. Okay, if you make that your prayer, but then you do not read God's words... Okay, so God, God, God will speak to you when you ask him to and then get into his word because the spirit of God will always answer to the word of God to direct you into the will of God. You can't know God if God doesn't speak. We can't trust God if we do not have what is called in Proverbs 22, verses 20 and 21, the certainty of the words of truth. Now, it's only called that in the King James Bible. But it is cold that there. If you don't have that, all bets are off. You cannot follow God if you do not have his words, because if you do not have his words, you do not know his will. So we've got to hear from God. And Daniel is the man who exemplifies how to find and how to have and how to use biblical authority. And one way Daniel gets God's ear is through what I would call spiritual disciplines. So I think I gave you on the handout some examples of spiritual disciplines, because the reason that some people don't hear from God is they don't have the discipline to do so. I mean, they don't have the discipline to pray continually, like we're told to, seek God fervently, fast periodically, study the Bible daily. I mean, that's why this year, out on the counter in the lobby, you can get a little bookmark printed up where on the back of that bookmark, I tell you how to read your Bible better this year. Don't just read your Bible. Do this and read it better. Wait on God patiently, listen to God intently, and meditate on God's truth consistently. And now we start to see just what Daniel hears from God. Verse 12, then said he unto me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, you entered into worship. You entered into the hardship of worship. I mean, I don't know what churches lead you into the hardship of worship today. And certainly we we must be celebratory on a Sunday, but there are times when you need to you need to go you need to go home today and you need to go to the mirror and you need to look at that person in the mirror and you need to judge that. Set everybody else aside. Stop judging anybody else. Go home, look at the person that you see when you stand in front of that mirror, and you judge that person. 
Daniel chastened himself before his God. Thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. <coughs> but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. And that's a wild scene, but it has to do with the nature of angels. Because an angel is an appearance of earthly an earthly person in heavenly places like the angels of the children in Matthew 18:10 and or it is a representation of spiritual rulers on planet earth like the angel of the lord and like the two angels we see here Gabriel and Michael Cyrus is not the prince of the kingdom of Persia but one of the principalities and powers referred to in Ephesians 6:12 is this is how we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. Because those demonic beings are part of his system of satanic control called wickedness in high places. They represent, they empower, they influence the spirit of our age and the leaders of nations who are under Satan's authority, Luke 4, 6. Right, right here, they're standing in opposition to one of the chief princes, Michael, who influences nations for God? Verse 14. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. You saw this vision so bad it made you sick. Don't worry, it's not going to happen tomorrow. And we're not even going to get to it, you know, for, for, a, for a Sunday or so, because chapter 11 and, and 12 is what it is. But let me give you several uh, facts about spiritual warfare. First, principalities, powers, and rulers of this world's darkness are operative primarily on the macroeconomic level of nations, not on the subatomic level of individual Christian lives. I mean, the devil has a vast domain among the nations of this world, and yet it's a restricted domain in terms of what he's allowed to do, as, as we see here. And he wants to gain the maximum effect over vast populations, and that means most of the problems you face in this life are because of your own flesh. Hello, somebody. It's not because of demonic opposition. Demons that run the world's darkness, they are involved in setting up a much broader scheme. They are the great cabal involved strategically in warfare for this planet. But this is important to know because so are you. You are too. So if you're saved, if you're baptized, if you're a disciple, if you're plugged into God's will, if you're fulfilling God's mission with your life, then you are also involved in the push across this planet for the kingdom of God. And an individual like Daniel, just like he did, you come in contact with spiritual opposition to that. Most Christians never rise to that level of strategic value to God because most Christians are never that consecrated to Christ. Hello, somebody. Jesus is not their captain, so why does the devil care to waste his time with them? I mean, just turn them over to the flesh and their carnality will do the work. Well, second, demons resist the will of God. Their job is not to mess up your life in particular and I'm, I'm sorry to burst your bubble today, but you just need to face, face it. Demons don't care about you. And yes, you're able to get their attention with certain levels. 
of immorality, of substance abuse, of uh, philosophy, false science, falsely so-called, and ideas like that, but they're not really out to ruin your day. They're out to resist the words and the will of God in your life. And if they resist the will of God, then, then yes, that should ruin your day if you're fulfilling God's will with your life. Number three, they have significant supernatural power. There was, there was a powerful um, devil assigned by Satan to Persia. It was for the express purpose of opposing and resisting God's will for the Jews. The exiles are returning to Jerusalem. They're rejoicing, but Daniel is fighting a rearguard battle as they retreat from Babylon back to Jerusalem. And because and, he recognizes they are especially vulnerable with their backs turned toward Babylon and their face looking toward God. And if Satan can at that moment motivate the Persians against Jerusalem, then almost all righteous Jews are going to be wiped out on the spot. And yet, number four, Daniel's unaware of the conflict and does not consciously participate in that spiritual warfare by prayer. I mean, he does unconsciously, but this is one of the few passages that give us such a clear glimpse into the spirit world. And it describes for us the unseen conflict going on on this planet between devils and angels so it's a great passage to use to correct the false charismatic myths and misconceptions about spiritual warfare. Don't buy into all those books by Neil Anderson. Uh, don't, don't think you need to do prayer walking as a way to challenge territorial spirits. Daniel is not doing that here. Demons do not play with us and we do not challenge them. We focus on God and God's words, but this is our third point for study. What we do do by way of prayer and consecration and utter surrender to God, that affects how demons can occupy your area. <coughs> focus on worshiping God. Gain biblical understanding. Fear the Lord. Then you've placed yourself strategically in God's mission. And then the Holy Spirit will inform you, equip you for spiritual battle and protect you. Because if you are involved in the mission, your battle isn't just physical, it's spiritual. It's not personalities, it's principalities. So is spiritual warfare real? Yes. Do we participate in conflict between demons and angels directly? No. They are there, we are here, but if we do hear what God wants done here, then it affects how the spiritual battle goes up there. The exiles are returning, Daniel is praying, so Gabriel is dispatched, and since Daniel keeps on a praying, Michael is sent, thank you very much, Michael is sent to represent and to escort Gabriel down to Daniel. Watch, look at verse 15. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. Behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips, then I opened my mouth. And I spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me, and I've retained no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for me, straightway there remained no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. Because Daniel right here is a picture of Israel in this dispensation. 
They have no recognition of Christ as their Messiah, and all of their rabbis won't even speak his name. That man, they call him. Verse 18, then there came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me. Just like Jesus will do when he appears to them in the middle of tribulation, like we saw back in verse 6, verse 19. And said, O man greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. So the angel of the Lord touches Daniel three times. Verse 10, verse 16, verse 18. Daniel is given a double commandment to be strong. But the strength that he gets is not his own. And that is why in the New Testament, the command for us is to be strong in the Lord. Ephesians 6.10 And be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 2.1. So there are just two things to be strong in, in the Lord, out of this passage and and out of uh, 2 Corinthians 12. I want want you to look at them. First letter A, trials, be strong in trials and infirmities. Because it is Daniel's press, stress, and distress that drives him to God. Second letter B, Prayer in reliance, uh, pray in reliance on the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So prayer in reliance on the grace that is in Christ Jesus, that's something to be strong in. Be strong in that. So what God strengthens us to do is be patient, Colossians 1.11. I don't care what age or stage of life you're in. <clears throat> if you're young, if you're a teenager, if you're a high school, college age, I know it's tough. Be patient. You're not an adult yet and you want to do adult. Adulting. Be patient. Well, then you become an adult. And you want this and you want that that your parents have. You want their house and you want their car and you want their... Okay, well, be patient. And then uh, for your parents and the older crowd, well, we don't have as much time left. We don't want to be patient. There's not that much time left for us. So I, I, you know, I don't like this any more than you do. But if you want strength promised in Christ by the Holy Spirit, you will be driven to desperate dependence on God by prayer and by suffering. Hello, my name is not Olstein, it's Alan, and I'm your friend. Verse 20, then said he, knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I'm gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall, shall come. Well, it takes us right back to the vision in chapter 8 of the, t- the two goats and the horns and the Greek uh, and, uh, and Persia and fighting. Okay. Yet in verse 14, he said he was going to explain what was going to happen to the Jews in the latter days. Now, we will not actually get to that until chapters 11 and 12. So it's kind of like the McCoys saying... Hang on, Sloopy. Sloopy, hang on. Now, you know, in case you're not familiar with that tune, the B-side of that 45 was Daddy Woo Woo. Just in case you need a trivia question for dinner today. So chapter 10 now ends with the first-hand source for chapters 11 and 12, verse 21, but I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth... And here's the shame. There's none that holdeth with me in these things, except for Michael, your prince. (coughs) This is the first mention of Scripture in the Bible. 
Um, a script is something inscribed, something written down. Scripture is inspired verbal words made visible in writing. Okay, that's, that's one way to, to use um, uh, Hebrew and use definitions, Greek, Hebrew, and definitions. Um, let, let, me, let me draw the application of that for you. Because Scripture is God's words, God's written words that you can read. All the modern Bibles today, you have a story. You have God's message. You do not have God's words. What? Okay, so we've got, okay, they're a message. I'm not saying they're not Bibles. I'm saying they, they contain the Bible, but not, not they are the Bible. But okay, so you've got the message. What if God wanted to give you his words? I mean, can you imagine if God wanted to give you his words? That is scripture. 1978, over 200 evangelical leaders published the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. What they should have published was a statement on scripture and biblical authority. So let me take this opportunity just to give you a biblical definition of biblical authority because that is the main thing here for Daniel. That's the main thing in spiritual warfare. That is the main thing that makes us as this particular Baptist church different from other ones and our Living Faith Fellowship of Churches different and unique from other churches. Inspiration does not refer to anything written. 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. There are no original autographs which were originally inspired in existence today. So God breathed his words into apostles and prophets, and all of them spoke, 2 Timothy 3, 16. But scripture was given through that process whenever a scribe inscribed and wrote down those words. The example is... Old Testament, Jeremiah 36, verse 4. Now, I was taught in Bible college that only the original manuscripts were inspired, but that's not the teaching of the Bible. That's the teaching of Bible colleges. Uh, that is the reasoning, reasoning of men who mix their philosophy in with the Bible. I want you to look here at 2 Timothy 3. There on your handout, I want you to see what Paul said to Timothy. He said that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. So he doesn't call it the Scripture of truth here. He calls it the Holy Scriptures, same thing. He says they're able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Paul defines scripture as what Timothy's mother and Timothy's grandmother held in their lap and taught him in Awana. God's hand worked in history through the Holy Spirit to give them in that day and at that time what God intended them to have as the scripture of truth. So scripture is called scripture by the scriptures and it never refers to anything that scholarship or scribes come up with after they corrupt what God has providentially preserved. And I, you know, I'm just saying, uh, you know, I got my doctorate degree now. 
If you want to check out if it's real, I posted the dissertation. It's on academia.edu. You can find out, okay, is that a real doctorate or not? Well, now that I got that doctorate, you know, I, you know, I'll just tell you boldly that what had happened is nobody, nobody, I mean, nobody stands with us in this except Michael and Midtown and, you know, a few other places. Nobody stands with us in this. But all of the scholars and all of the scholarship, none of them will accept what they were given. None of them will accept what was given. None of them will accept what came. All of them criticize God, fault God, and say God made a mistake. And they do the same thing that every cult group does. They say the truth was lost early on, and it was only discovered in the 1800s by our founder. So you need to do it our way. They, I mean, they all say that. None of them will accept what was providentially preserved down through history and arrived on their doorstep. They throw that out the window and say, nah, let's, you know, this needs to be subject to us, not, not us subject to it. And so we've got to be skeptical about what was received. And we need to be scholars, you know, about... Let's, let's reconstruct what, you know, what God did. Let, we can't accept what we're given. Let, let's reconstruct you know, what, what God did in the original. Now, um, I, I don't know if your pastor, your professor, your peers will admit this to you. But I'll tell you because I keep up with the journals. I'm familiar with the scholarship. None of the t- textual critics themselves... None of the men and women who put together the Greek or the Hebrew text that the modern Bibles are translated from, okay, so so none of them are even talking today about an original manuscript. They, They have already admitted they cannot reconstruct an original, and what they talk about is an initial text that was very fluid, Oh, really? Well, the reason they say that is because they are evolutionists with regard to your Bible. And that's why they will never give you the certainty of the words of truth. They'll never give you a final translation, a final text, something that's finally good. So as a matter of fact, you do not have the scripture of truth in their translations by their own dead reckoning. By their own admission. Peter says only the people were inspired, not, not the originals. And you know what? So if you ever did find an original, it would not have what God intends for you to have as Scripture. And what was written as Scripture, you can find today in your own language by observing the evidence of God's hand in history and comparing it to the alternatives. So, it's in rocket science. You have to be a scholar. You don't have to know Greek or Hebrew. All you have to do is be a Bible believer. If you had Jeremiah's original of Jeremiah 36, verse 4, you would be missing words that God wants you to have according to Jeremiah 36, verse 32. Now, it might be 12,707 words like in the New King James. Or it might be missing 25,698 words like in the ESV. Or it might be missing 55,168 words like the NIV. 
But I know that after John Wycliffe brought the entire complete Bible into English in 1382, that there were seven printed revisions for 229 years until 1611, and then the process stopped at the seventh one, and for 270 years from 1611 to 1881, King James Bible was the only words of God that we had in English. So either it is scripture and it's God's words, it is the certainty of the words of truth, or you have never had them and you never will because they certainly are not available to you in any Greek text, which you don't read anyway. When you pick up a Bible that is scripture, it is given by inspiration. So the King James Bible is not inspired, but it is easy to identify as scripture, which was given by inspiration and available to you in English. And it is a shame that no one stands with us in this. And this is why, I mean, I don't know, again, I don't know what's going on at Asbury, but I know what I wish God would do here. And God will do here what he wants to do because the spirit answers to the word. If you have the right view of biblical authority and the word in your life, he will bring angels down for you. That's what he did for Daniel. So in modern translations, you have, all you have is a corrupted version of God's words in the King James. They aim for a, a, an equivalent message immediately understandable to the natural man, 1 Corinthians 2.14. But you don't have God's words in them. And words are the key of the Bible. You can't even do simple English Bible exegesis in any of the other translations. And that is because the people who make those versions do not want a God. They have to be subject to through his book. They want a book they can view critically and make judgments about, which is subject to them. And that is the true nature of spiritual warfare in these last days. So I'm much more confident of a faith-based view of your Bible than the skeptical scholars are because the Bible itself backs up a scriptural view of scriptural authority. And the next two chapters are going to unfold to us what is written in that scripture of truth about God's plan for Israel and the world all the way to the millennium. There's one more thing I want to give you before we go. First, I want to personalize this passage. So first, in an age of affluence and excess, God calls you to face the strategy of spiritual battle and demonstrate humility in worship. I don't even know what to say about this. I know a lot of people say, you know, King James Bible, that's so hard to understand. And for a couple of years, I did a Bible study every Thursday down at Community Link, which is 4,000 block of Troost, and they've got like six brownstone buildings and maybe, I don't know, 30-ish apartments for people who needed transitional housing, mainly ended up... Uh, being uh, single mothers uh, with families and they're coming out of one thing and wanting to get into another and so they provided them with uh, life skills and things like that and um, you know and frankly a lot of the people in the Bible study some of them were you know their literacy was in question Uh, but number one they said look make sure you teach from King James Bible number two they never had any problem understanding it Now, that doesn't mean that uh, you might not need to come hear a preacher explain it. 
But okay, if you want to get rid of preaching, you know, if all you're going to do is read the Bible, read anything. But if you're going to study the Bible, you've got to have God's words. And the reason that Daniel is such a man of God in a pagan pop culture is because he had the blessing of God and he secured the blessing of God because he voluntarily made the significant choices to demonstrate his humility. I'm going to be under this book, not over this book. I'm going to do the hard work of worship. I mean, it's, maybe it's hard to read, hard to understand, or however, however hard, to, hard to apply. Well, okay, I'm going to do the hard work of worship. Secondly, observe three principles in, regard, in response to the devil and spiritual warfare. First, do not overestimate Satan's and demons. You don't need to study demons and, and the devil or worry about them. Do not make your focus, that the focus of your thinking, your life. Certainly don't make it your central focus of prayer. But second, do not underestimate Satan and demons. You need to be woke to all his devices. Do not ignore spiritual reality. Satan is alive and well and his devils do his work on planet earth and they will do it in your life if you let them because that is the default for every person born. So what's the bottom line? Letter C, put on the whole armor of God and resist him. My time is up. I thank you for yours. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God has his truth in his word for you. Get discipled. Have you never, never been discipled? Sign up for it on your way out. Just stop there at the desk in the lobby and sign up to be discipled. Get discipled in it today. Things are too close. Too much is in place. I need you with me. We need you with us pulling others into God's kingdom. And then getting others pulling others. That's why we're a disciple-making church. We want disciples making disciples. But there's one truth you've got to act on first. And that is the promise of everlasting life that Jesus gives you for believing on him. And to get that, all you got to do is pray. I mean, all, that's all you have to do. You don't have to change anything. You don't have the willpower to change anything. You don't, probably don't have the motivation to change anything. Well, okay, you don't need any of that. All you got to do is ask. At some point, you have to be the woman who cannot get healed of her issue of blood, but she's going to just touch the hem of his garment. Just pray and say, God, save me today for Jesus' sake. God, I want to trust Jesus today for everlasting life, just like he promises. So here, Jesus, I give you my life. And if you pray like that, then, you know, come, come meet me or one of our altar workers here at the front. And one of us will give you a book I've written on next steps for new believers. I mean, this is a tough message, deals with spiritual warfare. If you want to be prayed with, prayed for, or prayed over, come, come up here and let us know. Grab one of the people here at the front. Let us pray with you. And if you're saved and you've never been baptized, all right, let us know. Uh, if you uh, come here but you're not a member, come up and, and let's talk about that. Go ahead and stand if you would. We're going to let the praise team send us out singing. Next Sunday is back in our series on grace, and I want to show you exactly what it takes.
to reach the world. 